Father, give us faith to receive your word, understanding to know what it means, and the will to act upon it for Christ, your Son, our Saviour's sake. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of the cathedral roof repairs. The, the bell and the high wall work is nearly done. The gutters will soon be replaced. The finish line is close, really. But what are we doing it for, this cathedral building work? Does it matter that we have a grand old building, at least by Aussie standards, you know, compared to a concrete giant at Fig Tree or worn out Fibro or weird 70s brick at other churches? Because at the moment, they're all empty. Now, lockdown life meant I ran out of crime fiction, so I tried other genres. Kathy Smith gave me Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett. The cover said it was an epic saga of love, passion and revenge. It was actually historical fiction about building a big cathedral in England. To be honest, the monument making was a battle between architectural creatives, political hardheads, business rivals, with a bit of spirituality. So this idea of building a house for God with competing ideas of what it means brings us back to 1 Chronicles in particular, to chapter 22. A few weeks back, chapter 17 gave us a divine play on words. David wanted to build a house, equal temple, for God, but God promised to build a house, equals dynasty, for King David. And this leads us to the first point tonight, the king's big job. 1 Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 1. And David said, The house of the Lord God is to be here, and also the altar of burnt offering for Israel. David sees his big job as getting a temple built for God. That's why he wanted to secure this place, Jerusalem, the right place for its site. And now he's got to gather the raw materials and tradesmen for a massive construction task. Building your own house can take months, but major public works across City Tunnel a barangaroo, involves huge contracts with multinational companies and complex shifting workforce needs over years. And verses 2 to 4 show it wasn't so different back then. There's the cut stone, massive amounts of iron and bronze for nails and gates and fittings and numerous cedar logs for timber. And he even had to rely on foreign workers to bump up the workforce from semi-trusted neighbours in Tyre and Sidon. The scale is in fact magnified if you jump down to verses 14 and 16. I've taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, quantities of bronze and iron too great to be weighed, and wood and stone, and you may add to them. You have many workers, stonecutters, masons and carpenters, as well as those skilled in every kind of work, in gold and silver, bronze and iron, craftsmen beyond number. Now begin the work and the Lord be with you. Now I think there's a bit of hyperbole, exaggeration here, since 1 Kings 10 and verse 14 says, Even Solomon, at the height of his power, only received 666 talents of gold per annum, do the maths, it would have taken 150 years for Solomon to accumulate 100,000 talents of gold. 
But anyway, there's a stack of precious metal for the king's big temple building job. Why does it need to be so richly fitted out? Why is the temple so precious? In verse 5, David explains. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. Therefore, I'll make preparations for it. David wants to be the temple to be magnificent because he serves a magnificent God. Any temple worthy of the Lord needs to display his majesty. That's the logic. In fact, four times in this chapter, verse 7, 8, 10 and 19, it's called a house for the Lord's name. Now in the Bible, your name is not just a, you know, a nice sounding way of identifying you that appealed to your parents. It can represent your, your character or your destiny. To know someone's name was to know something deep about a person. David wrote a song in chapter 16 to commission Asaph and the temple singers. And 1 Chronicles 16 verse 8 said their job was, quote, to give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. And then near the end of that song in verse 35, they would give thanks to God's holy name. It says because he had saved and gathered and rescued them. Today we prayed, didn't we? Hallowed be your name, Father God. David knows the holy God who saves is indeed precious and worthy of our best. But to get this big job done, you need to find the right king for the job. And that's the second point. And sadly, David already knew from the prophet Nathan back in chapter 17 that he wasn't the man for the job. And he reminds his son of why here from verse 6, uh, from verse 7. Uh, David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest, and I'll give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I'll grant peace and quiet during his reign. Now David was disqualified because of all the bloodshed he'd been involved in. War is a terrible thing. Sometimes it's a dreadful necessity. People agree, at least about that in regards to World War II, for example, against the Nazis. They had to be stopped. And the person today who says Australia does not need a defence force is a person who has no idea about the history of the world or of the sinful human heart. But taking up arms to defend your country is a messy business. Even the great Winston Churchill was rejected as Prime Minister once World War II ended. And historians say a key reason was that the man who led Britain in war was just not seen as the man who could lead the nation in peace. God certainly raised up David to lead Israel against her aggressive, idolatrous enemies. And he blessed him with courage and brave commanders. 
And so the Bible's view is really that the Lord fought for Israel. But here in chapter 22, we learn that bloodshed is not something God ever delights in. Because blood shed from a dying soldier, even from a cruel dictator, that blood still flows from the heart of one originally made in the image of God. No matter how marred by sin. Ultimately, we need a man of peace to do God's work. That's what David said to Solomon in verse 9. He will be a man of peace. And verse 10, he is the one who will build a house for my name. He'll be my son and I'll be his father and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Solomon gets the benefit of his father's ugly work in warfare. And now God gives Solomon peacetime to enjoy as a result. And that blesses the whole nation with peace and quiet. The promise here in verse 10 repeats chapter 17, where, where the king's house or dynasty would last forever, and the king is called God's son by adoption, as it were. And the king kind of represents the whole people in all that. Because what benefits him flows on to his people. And so in this chapter we see just like Moses passed the baton to Joshua, David passes it to Solomon. Verse 11, Now my son, the Lord be with you, and may you have success and build the house of the Lord your God as he said you would. May the Lord give you discretion and understanding when he put you in command over Israel, so you may keep the laws, the law of the Lord your God. Then you'll have success if you're careful to observe the decrees and laws that the Lord gave Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Now look, at this point, it is worth saying uh, that as Chronicles moves into its second book, and we, we won't have time to do that this year, but it tells the story of Solomon. But it does kind of sanitise his career. Just the highlights, no lowlights. And Solomon was a great and wise king. And that's what Chronicles details. But the parallel account in 1 Kings, show, uh, 2 Kings, shows some fatal flaws. Uh, his ruthlessness in eliminating rivals. The, the hard labour he forced onto defeated tribal groups and marrying many wives from foreign religions who turned his heart away from God as he grew old. Solomon did build a grand stone temple, but it got smashed, and actually the People Chronicles was written to, had to start all over again. Was he really the man of peace to build God's ultimate house? And political leaders today, uh, Mr Morrison, Mr Biden, um, President Xi, we certainly know they aren't going to bring world peace, regardless of how many submarines they have. Now, the Bible says we must look to another son of David's line, to Jesus. He was the man of peace. He was the prince of peace that Isaiah promised. Jesus did not shed the blood of others. Jesus did not benefit by the bloodshed of others. Instead, Jesus shed his blood 
so others could have peace with God. We'll come back to Chronicles. Because thirdly, as we return here, we see it's not just David or just Solomon who carries out the king's work. Rather, they are accompanied by a great crowd of helpers. Verses 15 and 16 mention, remember those stone cutters and masons and carpenters and metal workers, tradies beyond number. So Solomon can begin the temple job with confidence, says David. And then verse 17 orders all the leaders to help in this grand task. Verse 19, in fact, says the work calls for devotion of heart and soul from Solomon. And I take it the leaders with him, the team. And then in chapter 23, verse 1, when David was very old, he made his son to be king in his place over him. Uh, over Israel. Uh, only, only one man can ever be king. But friends, hear this. Many can work for the king. And you notice again, verse 2 of chapter 23, how David gathered all the leaders and the priests and the Levites and he tasked them to work in Solomon's temple as it was built, once it was built. Verses 3 to 5 there say there were thousands, didn't it? The, the temple workers, I think that may refer to the priestly duties, the people who did the sacrifices. But then it mentions officials and judges and gatekeepers and musicians. And the next five chapters give just another on a chronicle's long lists of names. All the people who worked in and around the temple and and provided security. Even the security guards are mentioned. Uh, these lists are bookended by two great speeches from David about Solomon and his temple. We've seen one tonight. That's chapter 22. And then David speaks again in chapters 28 and 9. And in David's speeches, he emphasises the precious building materials, the, the bronze, the iron, the wood, and especially silver and gold. But the five long chapters in between, long lists of names, those chapters in between, the meat in the sandwich, it's all about people. The priests and gatekeepers and treasurers and other officials and the guards. And actually musicians are smack bang in the middle. Peter Lightheart says Israel is a choral people and the house of their God is a concert hall with music in the middle, and Mitch will have a few words about music later, more broadly. But here's the application I thought of way back when I designed this series. The body of Christ has many parts. And that's why I chose Romans 12 as the New Testament reading, which lists the different gifts. But it's the same in 1 Corinthians 12, where no church member can say, look, another body part doesn't really matter, it's not needed. You know, among all the spectacular Corinthian gifts, like the prophecy and the speaking in tongues and the miracles, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 also mentions much more boring sounding gifts like helping and administration. And we see it right here in Chronicles that Israel's health does not just require the bigwigs, the kings and the priests, the prophets. 
It also means setting up a temple bureaucracy, a temple workforce. Lightheart writes, revivals in the church last only when they affect the mundane operations of church administrators. Or again, the church secretary and administrative pastor is as essential to God's work as preachers and teachers. I just want to say it's so important to underline for us, especially important to underline as you farewell a couple of, uh, dare I say, energetic staff with fairly forceful personalities. Remember this, St Michael's is not my church, as I sometimes hear pastors slip into saying about the church they serve. Oh, my church. No, no, there's only one king, and that's Jesus. There's only one head of the body, Christ. But this tells us the body has many different parts, and all the parts are needed, whether they're, they're prominent, obvious, or quiet and largely unseen. And in fact, I want to say it's not just as, as I leave, it's actually as we all get back together after COVID. We need every single one of you bringing your contribution. The one mowing the lawn with the one teaching scripture, the one polishing brass with the one visiting the shut-in, the ones counting the money or cleaning toilets with the youth leaders and the musos. And this week, it's the ones donating and putting the COVID care packs together for our teachers and nurses. You are not unimportant. However small the job seems, we need hundreds, in, like in the Old Testament, thousands for that Old Testament building job. King Jesus knows you and he wants you on the job. So what are we building today? We are rightly concerned to be good stewards of the buildings previous generations have built as we gather together as God's people. We use sandstone and slate, copper. Uh, we don't have the gold and silver that the temple had. We, we, we both had cedar, so that's one thing in common. But of course, it's the people who gather the meat in the sandwich, if you like. Maybe our long list of names on Elvanto, the church database, is not that different from the long list of names in Chronicles. Because it's the king who gathers us together and the king who matters most of all. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, who offers rest for the weary, whose blood shed brings us peace with God. And that King of Kings sets us to work on an eternal building project. So I do pause to ask, young or old, is Jesus your King? Have you laid down your weapons? Have you surrendered your independence and put your weary head on Jesus' broad shoulders for that rest, for that peace? As I kept reflecting on this section of Chronicles, I actually changed my original sermon title and ended up with The Living Temple. That's on the outline today anyway. Because Jesus is the true temple, we, we know our theology. He fulfills all Old Testament hopes. And so as well as being king of our world, Jesus is the true place God dwells with us 
those temple hopes are fulfilled, Jesus is the focal point of how God gathers a forgiven people back into relationship with him. I think a New Testament passage that catches it really well is 1 Peter 2. Let me just read a couple of verses. 1 Peter 2 and verses 4 to 6. As you come to him, to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but by chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. You see, there you have the temple imagery of Chronicles transformed with life. Living stones being built together into a living temple, built around Jesus, that that great cornerstone. Friends, you're part of the greatest building project ever. Come down to verse 9 then, 1 Peter 2 verse 9. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The sacrifices we offer are not to atone for sins. They're sacrifices of praise. We're given the job of praising God. Now, this certainly can and should mean music. But I just want you to remember that praise means so much more than the music. Praise is telling the truth about Jesus and his great deeds. Upwards to God in thanks and outwards to others in gospel-rich language. Praise Jesus for his plan to rescue and build. And so look around the Zoom screen if you like. It's the people who God gathers even in this slightly strange way that matters the most. To be with Jesus and to do his work building his people it's far more precious than any gold-plated temple or sandstone cathedral. That's what we should be building today in Wollongong. Many living stones coming to join the great living stone, our Lord Jesus. And of course, the St Michael's Cathedral building is only precious as it serves that end.